So, Dad, in Spirit of Remembrance Day, did anyone in our family ever serve in the military? Yeah, we had uh, several people serve in the military. Uh, one uh, special one in particular, that's my mom's biological father. His name was Morris Nukshish, and he was the oldest son of Alec and Maggie Nukshish, the two old people I used to live with, my great-grandparents. I was their firstborn. And uh, when he was 19, 20 years old, uh, there was, at that time, World War II just broke out. And the Indian agent came on the reserve and started talking about these people in Europe that were being oppressed, even worse than us here in Canada, and asked if any of the boys would uh, volunteer and go and fight. Of course, us being traditional First Nations people, Nahio people, Cree and Ojibwe and Dakota, we all had our, our warrior ways with the young men because young men always grew up to be warriors. So, of course, they volunteered. But in order for them to go and fight in World War II, a lot of our First Nations men had to give up their First Nations rights before they had to go. Really? Yeah, they had to sign it up and say they weren't First Nations anymore because at the time we didn't even have the right to vote yet. We were third-class citizens in our own homelands here in Canada. It's a lot of the part of the history of the Canadian history doesn't want to share with the rest of the world that they treated us and kept us on what they call concentration camps or AKA reservations, reserves. So a lot of the boys, and there was lots of the boys that uh, signed up and volunteered and went out to war. And my, my grandfather, he, he signed up. So about a week before he, he took off to war, he was invited to a lot of different parties all over. He'll meet women, meet men, have drinking parties, and have a good time before he went off to war. And at that time period, he met several women and had fun with several women. And then a week later, his parents took him to the, you know, to the bus in, in Balcares, the next little town over, and he went by bus to Regina. And from there, he went off and flew off to Europe. And his big battle was uh, D-Day. So he... he uh, Was he on the beaches? He, he parachuted in. He was part of the Regina Rifles, and they parachuted into it. Oh, wow. And basically, he floated down. And as he was, they say, as he was floating down, he already had his rifle out pegging off the Germans. Oh, wow. So he is mid-air snipering. Bang, 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 bang. He went until he ran out of bullets. Then he landed and reloaded his rifle again. And then can, continued on. Now, about three, four days after D-Day, that's when he was shot. He was there, you know, he was throughout the war, throughout you know, three, four months. But where he was stationed, they jumped in the planes, and that's where they they uh, parachuted in on D-Day. And it was about four or five days after that he was shot. And he suffered very, uh, uh, how do I say, he really suffered. Because by the time uh, the field triage teams came in and assessed him, the lady nurses uh, marked his forehead with a strip of... of uh, as they say, lipstick. So if they got a red mark on their forehead, they just moved them off to the side, and gave them some morphine, and basically left them to die. So he was off to the side, and his one cousin, who went to war with him, he stayed with him right to the end, and he said that uh, my mushroom, Morris, was one of the toughest SOBs he's ever met. 
and brave and showed no fear to the enemy and fought right to the end. As they say, when warriors die, they, they have to fight death. They have to yell at it to cross over. So he sang his, his death songs, his traditional songs. He said his traditional prayers. And when time was coming to death, he yelled. He yelled out. And then that's where he stopped breathing. He came to his injuries. Basically what happened is what he uh, got shot with a 50 caliber rifle through the stomach twice and shot out his back. Oh. And because they had those big heavy felt uniforms, that's what kept them together. He just cinched his belt up, they said, when he got shot and then continued fighting for a long period of time. So they said, um, my one granduncle who, who served with him said that he was shot around 12 noon and around there. And he didn't stop fighting until about 4 p.m. So he, he fought for about four hours with two major bullet wounds in him. They were called fatal shots, but he, he fought right through it. Oh, wow. Till he had no he had no more and he laid down. And then, they, like I said, the triage team came up and take, took him to the, the makeshift hospital on the field. And that's where, like I said, one of the nurses, just they did their checks, assessments on him. They took out the lipstick and marked his forehead and they moved him off to the side. So that, you know, that's, that was war. And the thing is, because of war and because of residential school and because of everything, we're like, personally, myself, I was robbed. My whole family, we were robbed of knowing our grandfather. My mom was robbed of knowing her own father. For instance, she never knew him. He made her, went to war and died over there. And then she was born, you know, nine months after the fact. And her mom was already married to another man who was at war. So my grandmother was at a party, you know, having a good time. And during the war, I had, you know, no fault of my grandmother's, my mom's mom. And she had uh, three children outside of her, her marriage vows during wartime. Wow. The three different, three different uh, fathers, per se. And the thing is, it, that was a time of war. Everybody was looking for for comfort, for fun, for whatever. And, you know, babies came out of it. So when my grandmother's husband came back from war, he came into the house and he saw these three extra kids here and they weren't his. He said, well, I don't know who those kids are, but uh, send them back, he said. So my grandmother had to send all her children back to the fathers. And that's how it went, so... My auntie went one way and uncle went another way. And my mom went to her dad's parents, Alec and Maggie Nuxish, And they raised my mom from the time she was about no oh, nine months old, 10 months old. That's when they got her. And they raised her as if they were, it was her own, their own child. Wow. So she was raised with her aunts and uncles. So and in between there, my grandparents still had two children after they took my mom in. So, you know, so, I, you know, she had some, Younger, I should say, older aunts and uncles and younger aunts and uncles. Oh. So that's how it was raised. And the thing is, those two old people, they kept all those stories alive, especially about my, my grandfather, Morris. The thing, the thing is, when it came to November 11th, I was always taught that, you know, we always got to respect that day because that's the day that we, we honored our, our veterans, our warriors. Like, for instance, my, my mom's dad. Morris Nukshish, he, he died in World War II. And we have a 
kind of an altar setup of him, his picture and all his medals and my grandmother's medal because she was the very first Aboriginal um, military cross mother or silver cross mother, you could call that. And she actually held that posting twice in her lifetime. She served twice. Wow. Uh, once in Winnipeg and one here in Regina. And uh, she was honored with a, a medal and she's the one that brings and lays the wreaths down for all the mothers. And she did that twice, like I said, uh, once in Winnipeg and then again here in Regina years later. And she, you know, held on to all the papers. Like, for instance, that letter that the government brings when a, a warrior is dead, the telegram is delivered by a military officer. And that military officer came to the to the, the farm, per se, where the Indian agent is the main gate to get into the reserve. And then there... The Indian agent and that officer rode by, by horseback or carriage right to my grandfather's house, knocked on the door, and then they gave her the letter stating that her son died in combat. And from that point on, my grandmother had a very, how do I say, she hated a lot of people after that. And it took a long time for her to get over the hatred of losing her son. And most mothers do. And my grandmother was no different. She didn't love any less. She just was, uh, how do I say, jaded. She had more of a, a guard up all the time. So, you know, that, that was what war caused in our family. Now, my dad, he served in the military. He was a part of the Air Force and Canadian Air Force. They call it peacetime, meaning he never saw combat. But he was a helicopter pilot and then went to search and rescue and worked for many, many years with the Winnipeg uh, Battalion, uh, the 440 Squadron, which is a search and rescue. And they, he stayed there for almost 25 years, something like that. That's how long he served in there. Wow. And they did all kinds of search and rescues, went all over the place, they even went overseas. Like my dad actually went overseas a few times because of paperwork, you know. Somewhere his paperwork got screwed up and they ended up sending him to the wrong place. So. Really? Like, yeah, the one time he ended up in the Middle East, he said, um, uh, Yemen, I think it was Yemen. Or... When was that? That was back in the 50s. And he said, when they arrived, he said, they got off the plane, they went to the, they were in their, their, um, the base camp where they were. And he said, it was like 50 some degrees out. It was just hot, killer hot. Nothing to drink, nothing there. He said, well, the town's about, he said, about a mile walk. So they all, they all walked to the nearest town. He said, he remembered this very clearly. He walked in and trying to get something cold to drink. They didn't have nothing cold to drink. They just had hot teas and hot coffees. So he ended up having a hot coffee, ordered that. And he was standing there and they're all sipping their coffee because it's really, you know, Turkish style coffee. So they're really stiff. So it was strong coffee. They're sipping it. And they fancy all, mugs. Yeah, a little tiny mug and you know, just sipping away. And that's where they noticed that there was a town square. When they looked at the square, he looked a little closer and a little closer, and there someone was uh, uh, was punished the day before for stealing. And in that particular country where he was, it was uh, you know very Bibleish, you know, hand for a hand, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of law. And some poor schmuck he uh, stole, so they left his hands on the display of the on that middle post there. They left his hands hanging there. Oh wow. Yeah, and that's where my dad said, oh, boy, I don't want to be here. So he ended up going back to the base camp and said, what's going on? I wasn't supposed to come here. So, again, they have to look at all the paperwork, wait for all the transactions, and 
communications and you know a couple of days later my dad was shipped back to canada so that was my dad's overseas right there so as as he put it he said a few choice words and but he said asked him well what was the best the worst thing that came out of it and he, he basically said it was it was just very very hot he said and dusty so that was that was my dad's story about that how do you get accidentally shipped off? To oh, it's called paperwork problems. That's what that is. And, uh, who knows? But all in all, he went from there and then he was shipped to Trenton, Ontario. And then from Trenton, Ontario, he was transferred to Winnipeg and then back to Trenton and back to Winnipeg again. So that was his <laughs> military experience. And uh, he served a lot of time, especially uh, during the time of uh, President Kennedy with what they called uh, the Bay of Pigs, where the world almost came to... Uh, and I say World War Three way back in the fifties and sixties. In fact, uh, my older sister Leanne was just born, so she was days old when that whole conflict happened. Where With the President, Cuban Missile Crisis. Cuban Missile Crisis. Like and my dad's job at the time was to fly from Trenton, Ontario, with the helicopters, go pick up the Prime Minister and all the government officials, and then fly them to their their bunker, their uh, safe bunker, uh, what a bomb shelter per se, and then from there. It was the helicopter was theirs to go wherever they wanted. So they had it planned out that if if something happened, they had enough time to fly, get all the government officials, get them done, and then have the family members of theirs, wives, kids, to pick them up and then travel off to a safe distance somewhere else. So like I said, they, they had plans all set up. So but never did never did get that far. So thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. Because if, if it did, we all wouldn't be here today. So so that was just, you know, some of the things with the military. And the thing is, when it comes to military and being First Nations people, we always had our military. Way back in teepee times, our men and some of our women were warriors. In Dakota, we call it a gichita, a warrior. You know, we, we served to protect our people. Our men protected the women and the old people and the children. So we we're experts at hand-to-hand combat, using weapons, knives, arrows, and later on rifles. So, you know, we've always been militarized. Now, on my dad's side, my dad's grandfather, now his name was Kohizaza, and he fought in a big military conquest as well. He fought in the Battle of Little Bighorn. So he was uh, 15, 16 years old, and he was actually a horse keeper. So what he did was he held fresh horses just off the battle battle area, battleground. So where the battle was happening, the Sioux warriors would then ride over the hill with their their horses, and they'd get a fresh horse, and they'd ride right back into it. So like slightly more than a kilometer away? Yeah, about a kilometer away. Oh, wow. And the thing was... According to my, my my grandfather, Willie, my dad's dad, he told stories about his dad, is that during that battle, there were seven Wasichu Gichita, soldiermen, cavalrymen, running on foot, and they tried to take my grandfather's horses because he was standing with horses. So they came running in, and between him and two of the horses, they knocked down all those, those cavalrymen and then my grandfather took his knife and finished them off. Oh, wow. And he took, uh, what they say, a trophy from them. He took their scalps. 
cut the top of their hair off and pull them off. Seven of them. They put them on a stick. They have all seven scalps. And in that process of that big fight, one of the horses uh, stepped on my grandfather and fell on him, breaking his leg. So he broke his his left leg right across the tibia between the knee and the ankle, snapped it right off. Ugh. And back then they didn't have good hospitals. So he laid there for the longest time until help came and got him. So they used one of the horses and they put two poles across, put ropes, a travoy, and they sat him on there and they dragged him back to camp. He, on the back of a horse, they dragged him into camp. About uh, a week before the battle, when all the Sioux were gathering, he saw this girl in camp. They met, they talked, they liked each other, and they promised each other if the battle, you know, everything was good after the battle, he'd uh, go meet her and then get married. So at the end of the battle, they went back into camp, and my grandfather, he was looking for that girl, looking, looking, looking. Very finally found her. So that girl and her mother and all the aunties, they fixed up his leg, taped it together so that he can heal his leg. The thing is, is his leg never healed straight. So it was always shorter than the other leg. It was a little shorter. But it, you know, mended. He could walk. He walked with a limp. Oh, he's limped wherever he went. And that's where our, our name comes into play. You see, my grandfather's traditional name was Kohizaza. It speaks the truth. How is it meant? But he always walked with a short leg, so he had to stretch his short leg to walk. So his nickname, common name, everybody teased him about this name. They called him Stretch. Hey, Stretch, what you doing? But in Dakota, it's Yuzichapi. Yuzichapi. Oh, wow. So our name changed from what would have been a nice name, Kohizaza, to Yuzichapi. So when he moved and took his wife, and after they got married, and that was funny because... Back then, you had to give a gift to the father of the bride, honoring him. You have to give him something of value. My grandfather didn't have much. He had a horse, but they needed a horse. He had some clothes and some hides, but everybody had hides. But he had that stick with those seven scalps on it. It was a high honor to hold those. So he gave those scalps to his bride-to-be's dad who was the father and her dad whether it was her biological father or the one that raised her his name was tatanka on the tanka sitting bull oh damn chief sitting bull is our great 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 grandfather wow um, my dad's maternal side so it's it's kind of funny that you know if you think about it my whole family comes from military people. On my dad's dad's side, comes from Sitting Bull's people. Comes down. On my dad's mom's side, her maiden name is Dumont. Her dad was Francois Dumont, who's the oldest brother of Gabriel Dumont. Gabriel Dumont? The one that helped the with Northwest the... Northwest Rebellion? Northwest Rebellion. That's another great-great-great-uncle. Wow. So my great-great-great, your four greats-uncle. So we, we come from, you know, military people. Now my mom's side, my grandfather went to war. And then there's lots of warriors and then medicine people on that side. I think it's like, I always was told since I was a little kid that November 11th was a special day that we pray and we sing and we remember our relatives that passed in the war. 
And the thing is, like, I always thought I was gypped out of it because I never got to meet my mushroom, my mom's dad. So I met all her her uncles and his brothers, but I never actually got to meet him. So each November 11th, I always, always think that was the day I was going to be able to see him, meet him, you know. But I never did get to meet him on this world, in this earth, this time. But I'll meet him in the next world, in the spirit world, where we go after we pass. And my mushroom used to always tell me, you know, you always got to honor your your loved ones, he said. So on November 11th, I always used to listen to my mushroom. He'd sing songs for him. Sing a flag song, memorial song. And he'd sing a, what we call a, a fallen warrior song, fallen veteran song. It's a, otherwise, powwow is uh, known as the pickup song, feather pickup song, and then a victory song. You say that's what my mushroom always instilled in me. You always got to do these. He said, this is custom. And you got to put a little plate of food out for them so that their spirit eats and then say prayers for them. So they, you never forget them. I, like, I've never met him, but I always uh, loved the fact that he existed, that he was here at one time. So that was all the, the ways I was taught as a little kid growing up with my great-grandparents, traditional ways of dealing with that. And things like my grandmother, she's always you know, make a little small bowl of soup and some bannock, and they go tell me, go put that on a tree somewhere. So I take that and offering, go put it up in a tree. You know, she used to always say, go feed your mushroom, she'd say. You know, that was my grandfather. And it's kind of funny because uh, just lately I, I posted some stuff about him on Facebook. I do it every year. But this this, this particular year I, I posted that, uh, you know, he never got to meet his children. Well, he had more than one. He had at least three that I know about. There's a boy and two girls. And my mom and her, her half-sister, they, they're... You know, they knew each other. They're kind of close. You know, they, they got along pretty good. Right to the point that uh, in late life that my mom actually worked at the residential school I went to. And so did my aunt. She worked there too. And the thing is, uh, I'm very close with my one first cousin, uh, my auntie's daughter. And for a lot of time, people always say, well, how do you guys know each other? We just look at each, look at them and tell them, oh, we're cousins. Never really got into it our cousins but just looking at harry looking at me and you know we're first cousins that's how closely we are you know just like brother and sister we're that close and it doesn't matter where we are you know, always hug each other how you doing cuz how you doing back and forth you know that's that's what it's all about i mean family you got to know who your family is that was one thing my my greek grandparents used to always tell me you know, always know who your family is you know you've got to see them Shake hands with them. So I do. I mean, that's how it works. You know, like the flag song. Like there's many flag songs. There's flag songs for Dakotas and Crees, and there's common flag songs. I'll sing. I'll sing one the military flag song that we know. I call it a, the retreat flag song. It's the end of all the the wars. That's this one I'm gonna sing huh, right now.
different other flag songs out there but usually it comes to the military and we're doing flag raisings at powwows honoring our veterans this is the song that they sing then there's uh a time in the powwow when we're dancing powwow and an eagle feather falls off and hits the ground this next song i'm really singing is uh what we call a fallen veteran song or the feather pickup song for powwows when a feather falls on the ground they have to do this special song to pick it up in reference it's is like a fallen veteran. We have to pick him off the ground and then take him home. That's that's the meaning of it. This is that song. actually composed a long time ago after the battle of little bighorn that's when this song was created and from there on it's been spread out all over north america as this is that that special song that we sing for when our relatives our veterans fall and we pick them up and take them home so that's what that means so it's like one of like you said earlier one of the few universal universal songs kind of yeah it uh, originated with the dakotas and the Lakotas, and then from there it spread out to all the tribes all over North America. And universally, we use that same song for when a feather falls on the ground, we pick it up. And But it, in thinking about it, it's that uh, abstract thought of when that feather falls, it's, you know, represents our, 
our veterans when they fall in battle that we have to pick them off the battlefield and then take them home take care of the bodies so that's what that means so military thing is a big thing in our family a part of our culture we honor our veterans we honor all our both male and females whoever partakes in the military life that we have a high honor for them we honor them whenever we get the chance and this is our tradition it's been our tradition long before there was a country of canada or the united states this has always been that way since time has begun we always look after our relatives who have passed on due to being veterans or warriors so with that i'd like to say thank you to everybody again for listening to me this week thank you